everyone. I'm Lily. And I'm Britt. And we're the co-hosts of Lady Shit with Lily and Britt. We talk about anything and everything related to being women today. Like how much it sucks when people ask when you're going to have a baby. Or how much we love Michelle Obama. And is there a right way to do self-care? As doctoral students, we're occasionally smart, putting in a little bit of research into every topic we cover. But mostly, we're just ridiculous. As the guy who sold us our podcast equipment said, you're the kind of smart where you really have to dig. If we sound like your cup of tea or glass of wine, new episodes of Lady Shit come out every second Tuesday. You can check us out on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, and Podbean. Oh, and when you're searching, make sure Lady Shit is one word. Yeah, and you have to substitute the I for an exclamation point. Why did we make this so hard to find? I guess the guy at the store was right. Welcome to Rock Candy! Hi! Your weekly podcast bringing you sweet treats of bubblegum pop from the world of music. And we're bringing them now! Right now! If you order for just $9.99, you'll get our sweet podcast right now! <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, we will. Yeah, you will. We're all getting it. And we're your hosts, Beers in Hand. I'm Maggie. I'm Ashley. And tonight, you're going to get some sweet treats of Now This Is What I Call Music. Brought to you by two drunk ladies. Drunk. No, we already are at least a sheet and a half in. <laughs> at least. We kind of have to be with this episode. Yeah, this is, this is, guys, you know what? Strap on your nostalgia pants. Get ready. It's going to be a ride. If you were oh, born, if you were born when this album came out, you're going to have memories and if not, we feel sorry for you. Yeah, you missed out. You missed the beginning of an era. Yeah, an era that's still ongoing. <laughs> for some reason. Yeah. Anyway. Tonight, we are heading in headfirst with Stillwater Artisanal Mainstream Pop Song. <laughs> and we picked it because we are talking about... Now, now that's, that's what, what I, I call, call music. music. Volume fucking one. The first American release. The the beginning. It's the beginning of the US. Of the US version, yes. It is not the beginning no. at all by any means. Because it originally started in the UK in like 1983. 1983. It is literally older than we are. Yeah, it is. Look it at is, that. right? Look at that. It is. Oh, yeah, it oh. is. It's even older than me. Look at that. Look at that. But the US version started coming out in 98. This is the first one. So this yeah. Is, so we're so going to we're going to go through the whole Now that's what I call music volume 1 US version from start to finish. Yes. Talking about every song on it. Every song. Cuz cuz we love you. Cuz we love you. And I'm going to be upfront about this. <laughs> August is a hodgepodge month, guys. We have a lot going on. Co-host Ashley going to be gone for a week. Yeah, I'm going to be gone for a long time. <laughs> and then we're both going to be gone because at the very end of the month, we are going to Nashville, Tennessee for the Nashville Rockin' Pod convention on August 25th, Yee-haw! which is super exciting. And if you're going to be there or you're in the area and you want to like, grab a beer or something, let us know. We'll hang out. We'll grab a beer with anybody. We really will, though. Pretty much. Yeah. 
And if you end up being creepy, we'll just beat the shit out of you. It's fine. Or we'll just smile politely and say, well, that was a lovely evening. I'm going to go now. Bye. That's probably what we'll do. It's going to be the latter. You know that. Yeah. yeah. We're polite. We're too nice. We're very nice. Yes. Mm -hmm. But so this month, the episode's going forward. Going to be a little hodgepodgey. Going to be a little random. But you know what? It's fun. We're having fun with these episodes, I feel like. Yeah, it's a month full of fun stuff that we can kind of fly by the seat of our pants with. Because it's like we either know it already or it's just something yeah. we can listen to and be like, oh man, do you remember that? <laughs> We're not doing deep dives this month. No deep we, digs. <laughs> we don't have time for deep we dives. We don't have time for deep digs this month, but I promise next month, buckle up buckaroos, going in deep. Absolutely. Hell yeah. So, all yeah. right, well, let's talk a little bit about now that's what I call music. Woohoo! Because that is what I call music. I'm so excited. Do you remember 1998? Yes, I do. Do you remember we were both going to our freshman years of high school in 1998? Yeah, we were. Wow. And my sister was going into her senior year of high school. My brother was going to his freshman year of college. Ooh. Yeah. Well, well, that w- that's your your immediate older brother. Yes, correct? I have several siblings. So you it's didn't? Fine. Did you have to share a school? With any of your siblings? No, because my sister went to cat like went to one school. My oldest brother went to the same school as me, but he's thirteen years older than me. Right. So, so he we wasn't never even had to in, deal with that. Yeah, he was and out of school when you were born. <laughs> pretty much, he was in. He was almost finished with high school by the time I was born, and then that doesn't make sense. No, he was starting high school when I was born. Thirteen, Maggie. Oh. I can math. This is why you don't drink. <laughs> or this is why we do drink. This is why we do drink. And then, yes, my, my closest to me brother is four years older, but he went to an all-boys school. So there's no chance of me ever overlapping with my siblings, which is great. Yeah. Well, I guess that's the benefit of growing up in a city. You have multiple schools to choose from. We had a lot of schools to choose and from. We had one school to choose from. Yeah. That was it. And it your was small. of 12 people. Yeah. It's and exciting. Every, it's like everybody knows your name. So... So you went to Cheers High School? Yep. Nice. (laughs) Principal Sam. Vice Principal Diane. Principal Coach. Coach would be the principal, clearly. Yeah. Really? He's a Belding-esque kind of guy. I don't know. I feel like Coach would be more like the guidance counselor. Oh, yeah. Right? I mean, I guess Frasier, but... But, uh, Frasier would be a principal, for no, sure. but Fraser would be the guidance counselor. No, no, Fraser would be the 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 principal. But he's a psychologist, psychiatrist, psychiatrist. Yes, but he's also a radio psychiatrist. So... Oh, shots fired at Fraser. I mean... All right, we need to digress. We need to digress. Let's get the fuck into this. Sorry, guys. All right, okay. We can analyze Fraser and Cheers some other time. Yes, that's not the time nor the place. But yeah, so this came out in 1998, and oh my god, 98, that was fucking the beginning of hormones and garbage and change. These are the days of our lives. I guess. I guess. I'm just trying to throw a Queen song into it. I know, I appreciate it. I'm here for it. No, I loved it. It meant a lot to me. You're welcome. But I'm not even gonna lie, this, listening to this album reminded me of the time of my life right before everything just kind of went to shit. Yeah. I was thrown back into my 13th year of age. Right? Like 13, Pretty 14, hard. and you're like, oh. And you had very specific feelings 
yeah. at that point. You're just starting puberty. Yep. You don't know what's going on. Yeah, you It's very take... distinct, and you don't forget that, and music attaches itself to that. Oh, yeah. So I've, yes, I think both of us had floods of memories oh, yes. of an easier time. I wouldn't say simpler, just slightly easier, yeah. because, man, once I got into freshman year, shit went south real quick for me. But also reminds me of all the bad fashion choices I made at that point. And then all of the bad musical choices I made after this. Because it was all new metal from like 99 on. Yeah. Oh, that was bad. I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> I would actually say my fashion got way better. But <laughs> you don't want to know what I looked like before this. Woof. Oh, I wanted to. Buzz's d- girlfriend. <laughs> I wanted to dress like Kurt Cobain, so... I wore some ripped up jeans and a Nirvana shirt and a flannel. That was my sixth grade apparel. It was like yin yangs and flannel. Yeah, that was junior high. Yeah, that was totally junior high. And then. And then Jenkos came into the picture. And then who needs anything else but Jenkos? Nobody. Nobody. So, like you had mentioned earlier, this was not the first groundbreaking compilation album of hip hop songs by any means. The UK and Ireland had started this shit back in 1983. The idea was conceived at Virgin Records office in London, but it was quickly discovered that the managing director at EMI Records had a similar plan, so the two companies decided to merge for this concept. Wait, a whole merger of two record companies? Right, well, two big-ass companies, too. It's not even just like... Wow. Yeah, so these are two big-ass companies, like, let's join forces, and that way we can release more singles... We don't have to ask for as much permission. Damn. Like, we can just do what we want. And that's why they became such hits, because you had these two companies that had pretty big access. And, I mean, there and were a other... Of, a lot of money for promotion, too. Exactly. They had tons of money. Again, even at this point, compilation albums were not some newfangled concept, but the fact that it was being done by these two major labels gave it so much more freedom. And there were other labels that were much smaller than them, like CBS and WEA, MCA, and even Chrysalis were all doing compilation albums, but they never reached these high peaks that the Now That's What I Call Music compilations did. But people at that point went apeshit for compilation albums. This was before you could download anything. So if you could get the biggest... chart topping hits on one CD mm-hmm. and only pay like maybe ten, fifteen dollars for that CD right. instead of buying all those singles or buying all those albums, people would do it. Yeah. People fucking loved them. And I mean now we even know there's more than just now that that's what I call music. There's now country, now house, now electric, now what was sea that one shanties. I, <laughs> I don't know if there that's is real. Is that real? I think it's real. It looked real. I mean, it's on Amazon Music, so... We may have have come across, and now that's what I call sea shanties. Did you listen to it? No. Oh, we need to listen to it. I know, I should listen. I've been a little afraid to. (laughs) Um, As far as the name, now that's what I call music, it came from a Danish bacon ad where a chicken was singing as a pig listened along and said, now that's what I call music. It's just this little cartoon. Of a chicken singing and a pig singing. That's what I call music. That's cute. And they actually used the pig as a mascot on the first five albums. And I believe on the UK 100 release album as well. So for a little bit it was like, oh, this is our little mascot. It's a little pig. And they they fucking ditched that bitch real quick. (laughs) So I'm going to say, in in comparison to the fact that they have 100 albums out. 
ditching him after album five. I'm like, ooh, you you didn't care for the pig. I yeah, see. Yeah, probably see. a good marketing strategy. So by 1989, the Now records were such big hits that they had to create a chart just for UK compilation albums. Oh my god. Again, there are others, but like there are so many Now albums that they had to make an entire section of compilation albums. Oh my god. It's amazing. I love the British. Thank you, Britain. As the years continued, the amount of albums being released increased anywhere from two to three a year. Seriously? Well, now they're on number I mean, 100 that was just released last month. <laughs> yeah, so they fucking <laughs> and that was a lot 30, out. almost 35 years ago. Right, so they're releasing several a year. Right. It's and bananas. even the U.S. version, they're, they're releasing several a year. Yeah. I mean, I guess they kind of have to because it's not like artists are only releasing like one, maybe two singles a year. They're releasing one right after another after another, if not releasing a bunch all at once. Right. And I initially, when I was younger, thought this was just the number ones of the year, but it's not. Right. First of all. And then secondly... Nowadays, with the internet and everything, artists are releasing so much material, like you said, there's so much to choose from, you have to have a couple a year. Yeah. And also, in addition to all of this, the popularity of the Now albums is so massive that in the UK, they launched the Now Music television channel. Does it actually play music? Yeah. Oh, that's good. Well, we don't have MTV anymore, so <laughs> gotta or, have to listen to the Now Music channel. Or MTV2. Or MTV3. Or, or MTV3, or Fuse, or any of those. Yeah. We don't really so play at music this point, anymore. We're really just at the. Does Much Music still play music? Oh, I don't know. Let's go to K Canada. Let us know. Is Does... Much Music still a thing? Are they yeah. still playing videos? What's going on over there in Canada? Let's have a chat. Miss you. So like we said, it wasn't until 1998 that America jumped on board. But at this point, back in May, we released Now 66. This May. This past May. In 2018. Yup. Number 66. So 20 years so later, we got number 66. Okay. So we've had... We, in 20 years, we have three, released 66 of these motherfuckers. Yeah, at least three a year. Yeah. Something like that. That's insane. Math. The inaugural U.S. release of Now That's What I Call Music did go platinum, and it peaked at number 10 on the album charts. So this shit did do a good job, because it is 98. We do kind of have the internet, but it's not what we have now. So again, a compilation album, pretty impressive. Also, very hard to find this fucking album on the internet. (laughs) Holy shit. Couldn't find on iTunes, couldn't find on Amazon. Yeah. It's hard to find. And the one that you can find on Amazon was like like forty fucking dollars. (laughs) And with all of this being said and done, we might as well just jump into the songs because we got a lot to cover. There are seventeen tracks, kids. Yeah, I mean we're not going like we said, no deep dives, but some fun facts. Yeah, fun facts, and and it'll be fun to just you know, here why don't we want to go ahead and listen to the songs and we'll start with track number one, which. We've already covered yes. in a previous uh, episode. Yes. But it we'll is. We'll talk about it again a little bit, but not as much. Janet Jackson's Together Again.
right, so we already covered this song. Yeah, we're, our, not, we're not really going to talk about so it. So we're not going to talk about it a whole lot. You just basically have to know it's about uh, Janet's friend that died from AIDS and is dedicated to everybody that has is living with AIDS, has died with AIDS, and and all of their family members that have been affected by it. Yeah. Um, it's a pretty sweet song. I don't know if we talked about it in the Velvet Rope episode, but she said that she was really inspired by Donna Summer's disco Yes, songs. I think I brought that up. I think so. And um, That sounds like something I've said. And she was really inspired drunk. by a song called Runaway by oh. New York and Soul. Which, if you if you go look it up and you listen to it, you'll know exactly what song I'm talking about. Oh, okay. But the beat in that song is very similar to this song. Was this the one she got sued over? It might be, because it's so similar that, like, it, she could have stolen it. I know that the Velvet Rope episode was mine. Yeah. And I researched it. But guys, <laughs> I drink a lot. I would... I- remember half the shit i say in our episodes i don't i, don't I kind you. of wanted sometimes to just go back and listen to an episode like what did i say about that yeah <laughs> it's fine but if you guys want to hear more about that and the other tracks from that amazing album the velvet rope please go back listen to our janet jackson velvet rope episode it's it's a real tight, good episode tight butthole you're welcome let's uh keep on rolling number two we got number two which is as long as you love me by the backstreet boys <laughs> I can listen to a little Backstreet Boys. I'm not going to lie. I can listen to a little Backstreet Boys. I personally was an NSYNC girl. I kind of, I mean, if I had to pick, if you put a gun to my head, I would have said NSYNC. Yeah, I was all about NSYNC and Hanson, so. But uh, out of all the fucking Backstreet Boys songs that had to be on this fucking album, this is the the worst one. I hate the song. And there's zero to say about it. It's so stupid. First of all, you know someone else wrote it. None of them wrote it. Did they write any of their songs? They might think... now, because now they're making a comeback, so maybe they write their songs now, but they definitely mm. didn't in the 90s. Oh, no, not at all. It, it wasn't even released as an actual single in the U.S. Really? Yeah, it just managed to get a ton of radio play and a ton of video play on MTV. So it's it did not have an a official, video. Yeah, it did have a video. Was this the one with the video the, with... It was the Merging Faces. Where the faces would fuse together. I always confuse this one with the video with the one with with the female auditions. It is this one. Yeah, it yeah, is? Yeah, okay. And that's okay. in it too. That's in okay. it too. The female yeah. auditions is in this. Yeah. So not only is this song terrible, but the video is terrible too. Yeah. There's nothing really great to say about this. No. Like out of all my nostalgia boners not hitting it, I got a nostalgia no. flaccid right now. I mean... If you just listen to the lyrics, it just sounds like it's written by one of those crazy women that marry, like, a mass murderer who's in prison. Yeah, this like, is a really negative... Like, I don't care who no. you are, where you're from, what you did, as long as you love me. That sounds like a crazy lady who marries a prison inmate. Hey, yes. And that's... Huh. Yeah, wow. 
Right? Fuck this song. <laughs> anyway. Moving on. Moving on. To a much better song. Is it, though? I think it is. Wait, what's the next song? The Way by Fastball. That is a much better song! Okay. Actually, it really is a good song. It is a good I song. I like it a lot. And for a long time, I hated it because I just, I was worn out on it. That's but fair. now listening to it, I'm like, this is a really great song. However, the subject matter is really upsetting. It is because it's kind of a true story. It is. Um. Okay. So I might be long winded in this, but there is a whole fucking story and it needs to be told. I'm just going to sit here with bated breath. Yes. So um, I feel like we kind of all already know the story behind the song, but it's almost like an urgent urban legend at this point. And it's a fun little story to talk about. But the real story is actually really, really sad and upsetting. Right. And uh, trigger warning, I'm going to bring everybody right down yeah. right now. But and I'm buckle sorry. Buckle up, buckaroos. Buckle up. But I'm sorry, but it's it's still a really interesting story. So fastball frontman Tony Scalzo got inspiration for The Way after reading an article about Leela and Raymond Howard, an elderly couple from Salado, Texas. I think that's how you pronounce Salado. it. Salado? Salado, Texas. I don't know. I feel like I'm saying it the way that Pearl in SpongeBob SquarePants says salad, or the way SpongeBob says salad when Pearl takes over the Krusty Krab and puts salad on the menu. And SpongeBob just looks at it and is like, what is this? A salad? Okay, take that out. Because that didn't (laughs) win. I didn't watch Spongebob that much. I watched it a little bit. I watched it. That's like one of the few episodes I ever watched. Salad? A salad? (laughs) But I think it's Salado. (laughs) I'm going to say Salado. You know what? That's really what people can get out of this segment. But anyway. So Leela and Raymond Howard were an elderly couple from... Salado, Salado, Texas, that left their home one day for a festival 15 miles down the road, but then disappeared. It was Sunday, June 29th, 1997, when the Howards decided to get in their car and drive to the nearby town of Temple, only 15 miles down the road to a day festival. They went every year and weren't going to miss it this year, despite objections from Leela's adult son. The reason he was protesting, Leela, an 83, at 83 years old, was showing signs of Alzheimer's and got confused pretty easily. He didn't want her driving anywhere, especially when her husband, Howard, wouldn't be much help as he had his own health issues after just having brain surgery. But Leela insisted, reassured her son that everything would be fine, got in the car and took off. But the afternoon and evening passed and the Howards hadn't come home yet. Their children became worried and searched for them, but the only person that had seen the Howards was a Walmart greeter who said they saw the couple that afternoon coming in for coffee, but after that, no one had seen them. So their children called the police, who posted a missing persons bulletin. Three days later, the Austin American Statesman newspaper published an article about the missing couple, hoping someone would call in some tips. 
Little did anyone know that the couple was already 500 miles from home driving around rural Arkansas. The same evening, a deputy pulled Leela over for driving without her headlights on, but let her go. A half an hour later, huh. Leela was pulled over again for driving with her high beams on. <laughs> Wrong way! Damned if Wrong you way. do, damned if you don't, right? What do you want me to do? On or off? Tell me which one. Neither deputy knew they were missing persons, so they let them go on their way, even after Leela clearly showed signs of confusion because she couldn't tell one of the officers where she lived. She forgot where she lived. Didn't know where she was going. Yeah. Another article was published the next day, July 3rd, and another was posted on July 4th. By this time, authorities in 11 states were looking for the couple, but there were no significant leads on their whereabouts. They really pulled out the big guns looking for the Howards. They offered a reward for their safe return. They got a local CBS affiliate to cover the story on a morning news show. And they had a ton of police looking for them and even employed the use of a helicopter. But they couldn't find Leela and Raymond. Finally, on July 12th, a full two weeks after they disappeared, Leela and Howard were found. Unfortunately, at some point during their excursion, Leela became confused or disoriented and drove off a cliff in Hot Springs, Arkansas. After the car went off the cliff, Leela put the car in park, turned off the headlights, opened the passenger door for her husband, who was dead at this point, and crawled to a nearby ravine and died, still clutching her purse and car keys. You're looking at me like you want to explode right now. Oh my god! Yeah. I didn't. It's horrible. <laughs> it is a. a <laughs> that's the worst story. Like there were so many chances people could have saved them. Yeah, there were so many chances to be like, oh, you are clearly disoriented and confused. We should bring you to the police station. Yeah, that's awful. Yeah, that's really. <laughs> First of all. I'm like, I want to be out by 65, because I figure, like, I'll, I'll beat any Alzheimer's, like, real distinct Alzheimer's You'll by go then. out on top. Really. I want to go out on top. It. Like, I don't want to go out like that. Yeah. So that story terrifies me, because that's probably, like, my number one fear of getting old. It's just absolute, total confusion all the time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As soon as I start, like, losing it, just like, put, put me to sleep. Shoot me in the face. I don't even care. <laughs> like... When I'm not expecting it, that's fine. Suffocate me in my sleep, that's fine. Find me at my happiest moment and then just like, (laughs) I want to go out on top. I want to go out on top. Get a sniper. Yeah. I I will employ my own sniper just as long as I don't know when I don't want to know when it's going to happen. I mean, even, I I just, yeah. That's fine. Yeah. That's awful. Yeah. But, so, in nearby Austin, Texas, Tony heard about the missing couple and got inspiration to write the band's hit song. He wrote it in 1997 when the couple was still missing. Okay. He he did not know. Okay. That he, okay. Yeah, he didn't know. <laughs> and reimagined it as an elderly couple taking off on their own in an attempt to be young kids again, which is arguably much sweeter than the real story behind the song. Yes. So he he did them justice. Yeah. He he made it a kind of a sweet, you know, love story. So <sighs> And he he wrote it before he knew that they were dead. I promise. Jesus Christ. Yep. <sighs> Next. <laughs> well, I'm going to follow that up with Harvey Danger's flagpole sit-up. <laughs> Fingertips and memories. My can't forget the curves of your body. 
was actually released the year before in 97 and is, I think, Harvey Danger's only hit single. Yeah. I don't sure. think they've ever had anything else. They they were around until 2016, but... I remember them being, like, MTV darlings when this came out. Like but MTV just had, for this video. But, like, MTV had a boner over them for a while, but only over this song. Because I'm probably the rest of their album kind of sucked. <laughs> The rest of the album's not great. I've actually listened to the whole album, and the only songs that are worth it are this, and I will say the title track, Where Have All the Merrymakers Gone? I really like that song, but that's very much a when you're really sad and depressed and you want to sit down and cry song. But it's good. It's good for that. So is this song about masturbation? No. Oh, well, it sounds like it is. It does, (laughs) but it's not. It's actually, when you really listen to it, it's a response to the Seattle grunge culture that's coming to an end at that point. Oh. With lyrics like, I want to publish zines, I want to pierce my tongue, I'm going underground with the moles. These are all part of that Seattle scene. The Olympia, Washington scene. Like, if you think about the Riot Girls, the grunge, all of them, you know, it was really this kind of underground, you don't understand me, I'm miserable. So they're... Trying to say that that's pretentious. Not even pretentious. They're just kind of poking a little fun at it. Okay. I think. It just seems like, oh, you know. (sighs) There's also, I feel like there's a sincerity in it as well. That, you know, yeah, they're all miserable and they're all not enjoying life. But at the same time, are they wrong? Right. That's what I get from this song, definitely. Okay. So while it is... It's definitely just kind of a look at that mindset that Seattle Grunge really created. It's a sympathetic satire? Yeah, I think so. I think it's a love letter, almost. Gotcha. And as far as the title, that comes from a scene in a Marx Brothers movie called Animal Crackers, where they talk about the flagpole sitting fad of 1920. But of course they called it (laughs) flagpole sitta because it's the late 90s and that's how we talk now. Oh, is it? Yeah. Okay. Are we all from we're Boston? Not flag, we're not flagpole sitters. We're flagpole sitters. Because we're all in the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones. You know what? You leave the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones alone. I'm not gonna. Don't come for them. They didn't I'm do coming. anything for... They didn't do anything to you. Hold on, because I'm coming. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> I was going to talk about how much I love the Marx Brothers, but you know what? What's the next track on this bitch? Spice Girls. Oh, hell second single off the Spice Girls first album. Classic. Of course called Spice. Stellar. Stellar. Fantastic album. album. Uh, The first single of course being Wannabe. Of course. I'm kind of glad they didn't go with Wannabe for this and they went with Say You'll Be There. I'm over Wannabe. I said it. Oh for this compilation? Yeah. Yeah I'm over Wannabe. Arguably this is probably my favorite Spice Girls single. I'll have to think about it. But it's up there. 
But the song and the music video were all about girl power mm-hmm. and female empowerment and also about male disempowerment. Oh, what? I think everyone knows the song, especially because of the music video, which made it to be like a pulp film modeled yeah. after Faster Pussycat Kill Kill and This was pulp the one fiction. in the desert, right? Yes. Okay. And they were all dressed in like pleather outfits and thigh yep. high boots and like futuristic shit and they all had except for mel c who's always in her sports outfits yeah yeah that's why mel c was my favorite it's very kill bill of her it is right before kill bill was even coming out so what you're saying is quentin tarantino may have gotten some ideas from the spice girls that is what i'm saying you know what quentin tarantino a little bit more respect for you a little bit pretty woke of you not a whole lot enough though a little bit enough in the video, each member of the group got their own alter ego, which read more like a roster of a drag show. I don't know if you remember <laughs> yeah. this, but Jerry was Trixie Firecracker. Oh, yeah. Emma was Kung Fu Candy. Mel C was Katrina High Kick. Mm. Victoria was Midnight Miss Suki. Okay. And Mel B was Blazing Bad Zula. Oh, love it. <laughs> they Use questionable ninja fighting techniques <laughs> to capture a dude and smoke his ass because they don't need men, so don't fuck with them. That's Bro. fair. This is all fair. Right? Bro. Bro. It, it was one of the better pop songs from this era. Oh, easily. And it's uh, still, in my opinion, still holds up. Yeah, and one of my favorite Spice Girls songs, um, I didn't really listen to their albums, I just liked their singles, so there was the one slow song. Oh, what was the slow song? Two Become One? Yes, I fucking love that song. That's a... That's a really good one. You know how you had Hanson? Yeah. Spice Girls was me. I was all about Spice Girls. Fucking loved Spice Girls. (laughs) I still haven't seen the movie. Me neither. So we need to see that. We do need to see that. Shout out to Amber, because I know she really wants us to see it. Yes, and we will see it. We promise, Amber, we will see it. We'll do it. I promise. Yes. And with that, we're going to follow up a little bit with some Casey and JoJo. Ooh. All my life. You are the only one you you know, it wasn't until this time around I'm like, this is a little incestual. How close are you to your father and your mother are you and your close? brother and your sister? Because arguably your significant other should be closer than them. I'm sorry, Casey and Jojo, but we have questions. I've got a couple <laughs> questions, Casey and Jojo. If you would please field them for me, I would appreciate it. Just, just answer some questions. Just a couple. Just a couple. Mostly the incest ones. Do you guys remember high school dances? Oh, Because I sure do. I avoided them like the plague. Despite my begrudgingly goth demeanor, I went to every dance. I went to, we always had a homecoming and a Valentine's Day dance and I always went to them. 
And I don't know if it's because I could buy a cute new dress. Not really sure. But I went to them. And this was always... Anybody who was in school in the late 90s will tell you, in early 2000s, this was the fucking slow jam of the night. Oh, yeah. Always. I very much remember... I think it was the first dance I ever went to was we always had an eighth grade dinner dance, which Aww. was like the prom for the junior high. That's adorable. And this was the first time I bought anything at Hot Topic. And it was the first time I dyed my hair. Ooh. So I had on like a straight up fucking vampire dress. It was black velvet with oh. bell sleeves and a like dark maroon stripe down the front and like corset sides and I put, um, like, maroon chunks in my hair. Because, you know, the chunky hair Hell yeah. was the shit that back was then. The shit. So I had maroon chunks in my hair. And I went to the eighth grade dinner dance like that. Dude, you have pictures of this? I need to see oh, this. I have pictures. I need to see this. I didn't get my <laughs> velour hot topic bell sleeved dress until junior year, so I'm a little Ooh. jelly. I had like three of them by then, so jelly, a hundred percent. But either way, I never actually danced to dances. I just sat there and brooded. Oh yeah, I just I just sat there, and then at the final dance of the evening, the like one dude that didn't have anybody to dance with was like, "Do you want to dance with Aww. me?" And I was like, "Yeah," and we were like as far apart as humanly possible. <laughs> they could put two rulers between you. Yeah, pretty much. Adorable. No, it wasn't. It was horrible. <laughs> oh, fuck high school. Anyway, <laughs> so this song was written by Joel Haley. The Jojo of Casey and Jojo. Mm-hmm. And he wrote it for his daughter originally, and it was supposed to go to another female artist on the A&M record label, but he decided to keep it because it was, quote, too hot. <laughs> but he wasn't wrong. Okay. Because this single reached number one around the fucking yeah. world. Yeah, this was He made everywhere. a good choice. And I don't know Casey and Jojo for really any other songs. So he made a good choice. Well, they were in Jodeci. Oh, that's right. Remember? Because they grew no, up with Missy. If you want to hear more, a little more about Jodeci and Casey and JoJo, listen to our Missy episode, episode on Missy Elliott. Because... Which is two episodes before our Janet episode. Exactly. So, or maybe it was the episode before. The point being, listen to our older episodes. They're good, too. <laughs> <laughs> Informative. Informative. We have facts. I'm three sheets at this point good <laughs> yay for bully for me <laughs> but honestly yeah this is the song that you're like oh this is what they're gonna go down in history for everybody wants a legacy this is your legacy yeah. casey and jojo good for you for not giving up this fucking song and honestly they they didn't really make a mark with any other songs that i can remember anyway no um and so. we were around for them so but this is a really good song. So it's a if this is, song. If they're gonna do a one and done, I'm glad this is their one and done. Good job. They're still producing, I believe. Oh, so. I'm sure. I'm sure. They're still very active. They're smart men. They're businessmen. They know what they're doing. Businessmen. Businessmen. Anyway, so that's about it for Casey and JoJo. Next. Who's up next? This is Never Ever by All Saints. Ooh.
I don't blame anybody if they have no fucking clue who All Saints is, but I love this song. <laughs> I do vaguely remember it. I remember when we were looking this whole track listing over it, I said, I don't know what and song this is. And I played it is. for you, and you were like, oh, oh okay, yeah. Kinda. I have a vague recollection of this. Yeah. It's not a great song. No, <laughs> by all means. I, all I'm Saints a- was not a great group. Period. With, with the intro alone, I'm offended for <laughs> oh, veterans. Oh my god. <laughs> I said it. Okay. <laughs> so All Saints was really big in the UK. This song did amazing across the pond, becoming the second best-selling single by a girl group ever behind Wannabe by Spice Girls. Huh. So All huh. Saints was the shit. They were really, really popular in the UK. So it was written by All Saints member Shazne Lewis about a particularly bad breakup and borrows a hook from a slightly more famous song called Amazing Grace. <laughs> slightly more famous. A little bit. And it features a particularly cringy spoken word intro. Oh, it's... Oh, it's so bad. The worst. It's so bad. Hilariously, they kept the demo version of the intro because they couldn't recapture the mood of it in subsequent recording. The mood being ambivalent being, at best? Being, I'm reading off of a cue card. Eh. Oh, but whatever. Okay. I mean, how bad did those recordings have to be if they couldn't recapture the how mood of the demo? How much money did they have? They couldn't hire Morgan Freeman to do it. <laughs> but like, really? Like you, or, or David Attenborough or something? Anyone. Anybody. Anybody. Ooh, Neil deGrasse Tyson. Somebody. Anybody. I mean, even Benedict Cumberbatch and how he pronounces penguins Ooh. is preferable over Ooh. this. I would... Can someone make a remix of that with Benedict Cumberbatch I just saying want, the opening? Just, just him saying penguins over and over again. Have you heard him say penguins? No. He says penguins. Oh my god, he's adorable. <laughs> I get why people love him now. But anyway... <laughs> All Saints was a hot mess, and that's why people fucking love them. Infighting ruled this group from the get-go, and they became tabloid fodder for British publications over the oh. years. They broke up in 2001 because of a fight that broke out at a photo shoot over who got to wear a specific jacket. Oh my god. It's like the cat fight I always wanted to watch live. It was live. like a years-long cat fight in this group. It was ridiculous. It's like... WWF Attitude Era Divas shit. Yeah, it's... Oh, it's, it's amazing. They are the Divas reality show of the 90s. I'm in love with it. Right? In that it's awful and I hate it. And also, <laughs> one of them ended up marrying Liam Gallagher. It makes sense, right? I, they couldn't get keep their shit together all right. to be in a musical group. So but how you are could, they still married? They're not. That's the twist and my fucking Shyamalan, bitch! Lay twist. <laughs> Ooh, it's a twist. It's a twist. <laughs> but it's a twist. But she actually... It's not a twist. So she was one of Liam's wives. How many wives did Liam have? I don't know, but apparently <laughs> she was the one that lasted the longest. I mean, good for her. She yes. tried. She tried. And you know what I say? Trying counts. <laughs> that is true. I do say that. It's 100% true. <laughs> oh my god. Anyway. Alright. Next. Carrying on to some tonic. If you could only see. And you've got your life. 
So I saw this song performed live. Oh, I'm sorry. I did. <laughs> At my first voluntary concert. My ever my very first voluntary concert. Because you know, like when you're kids, you get dragged to shit. Sure. Like when I, I was never eight, was. I saw Bob Dylan and Santana. And when I was eight, I didn't appreciate Bob Dylan and Santana. Uh-huh. I would appreciate that now. And the only show I was ever kind of dragged to was Aerosmith. That and was, again. That was my third show ever. Huh. I think it was my second or third show ever. And my parents really wanted to go see them. And so did my sister. She was a real big Aerosmith fan when she was a teenager. <laughs> um, Somebody's got to be. Somebody's got to be. <laughs> it was every like ninth grader in the world. But so, yeah, we went to the Meadowlands and saw Aerosmith. And, uh... That was the concert you were dragged to. That was the one concert I was kind of dragged to. I mean, I'm gonna admit, I really like Daryl Smith. I'm, I got I'm not innocent. high at Bob Dylan and Santana. Nice. I didn't know it until a few years ago my sister told me. She's like, I'm pretty sure you were contact high. Because you were just really okay with being there. I was 18. <laughs> or I was 18. I was 8. 8 years old. Yeah. At a Bob Dylan Santana concert. Yeah, I got contact yeah. high. Anyway, so when I was 14... Between 8th and ninth grade, over the summer, Tonic and Goo Goo Dolls were playing at Sienna, and I wanted to go because I loved Goo Goo Dolls. Ooh. So, don't ooh me. I love I am Goo not Goo Dolls. Go- I'm not ooting. I'm not ooting you. Ooting. Don't ooh, ooh. me. I'm not. Who? Whatever. Ooing. I'm not ooing you. I'm like, oh, yeah. Oh, That's okay. 90s. Oh, yeah. That's real that's, 90s, eh? That's what I call a 90s show. Yeah. But but I I didn't realize Tonic was Tonic till I heard the song performed live. Anyway, the point is... I don't know what the point is. <laughs> this song actually is autobiographical for lead singer Emerson Hart. When he was in his early 20s, he was seeing an older woman and his family did not approve of that. Okay. They actually disowned him and he stayed what? estranged from them for three years. Wow. Right? Just because she was an older woman? Yeah, I don't know what the whole story is. They but give like, you a very light basis How of, much older? I don't know. <laughs> and I've, I've really tried to dig into the story, and it's been hard for me to find anything besides he dated an older woman, family didn't like it, disowned him for three years. But before they officially disowned him, he had a conversation with his mother, and one of the last things he said to her was, if you could only see the way she loves me, maybe you would understand. And he hung up the phone with her and immediately wrote out that hit song. You got a, uh, your hit song out of it. Seriously, you got to even credit for that. He wrote, I love it or hate it. I loved it when it first came out. I don't like it as much because, again, oversaturation of the market. Right. But it was a hit for them. And, you know, sometimes you get to take your bullshit pain and turn it into a fucking hit song. And that's what you're known for is if she can only see the way she loves me. Did they have Wait, any... that's not the words. <laughs> if you could only see the way she loves yep. me. Three sheets. <laughs> um, did they ever have another hit? I feel like they did. Was and it... I'm drunk and cannot remember it. 
who did closing time? There were so many semisonic. Yeah, there were so many that one wasn't hit. Tonic. No, semi, but sounds but it tonic, it semisonic, easily yeah. confused. Um, and one hit wonders. There's so many one hit wonders because, like, we were just talking about Eve Six before we started recording. It's right, the same sound and uh, Breakfast at Tiffany's and Deep Blue Something. Oh my and, like, god, <laughs> it's just like all of these generic rock one hit wonders, and they're song. all the same song. It's crazy. It is. But like for what oh, it's worth, and Duncan it's a good Sheik. Song. Remember Duncan Sheik? Oh, Duncan Sheik. Oh, oh, poor thing. You're you're a band. <laughs> <sighs> Let's just move on to what you have been waiting for your whole life. Oh yes, my chance to talk about Hanson. Possibly the catchiest song in existence. It gets in your head real good. Just try. Try not singing this in your head while I'm talking. Just try it. Try it. Try it. You I doing it? You. I bet you're not. I bet you're singing it in your head. Fuck you. So the irony of this song is that it's about relationships you have throughout your life and how they're kind of fleeting and you need to hold on to them because in an mbop, they're not there. Hold on. Were these kids like 16? It's kind of deep, and it was written by children. It was 100% written right? by children. It's written by children. Isaac was 14, Taylor was 12, and Zach was 10. So I thought Zach was a girl. But I first saw usually, it perform. Usually people think Taylor's a girl. Maybe it's Taylor. One of them was definitely a girl when I saw them. <laughs> definitely a girl. <laughs> but the songwriters and Mercury Records believe... Believed in the Little Munchkins and got the Dust Brothers to work with them, who had just come off the Beck train. Oh. Having produced his massively huge album, Odelay. Oh, okay. I didn't even know that. Yeah, so wow. they they worked with Hanson on this song. And apparently there was some difficulty recording because Taylor was going through puberty and he couldn't get through the whole song without his voice cracking. So they had to... Re- <laughs> oh, muffin. So they had to record him singing one line at a time and hope they caught him on a good day. Oh my god. Boys, how was puberty for you? <laughs> Tell me. I'm curious. How'd that go? How'd that go? <laughs> I mean, women just had to deal with crazy emotions, but at least our voices didn't change. True. Well, I mean, they change a little bit. They get a little bit deeper. But, but it's not like... You've, it, it's a smooth transition. <laughs> I'm like, unfortunately, you know what? I'll give you this, boys. Puberty fucking sucks for you. You're touching your dick all the time. Your voice is just doing wacky things. You get boners for no reason. You can't control like, it. Here's the thing. Women get boners too, but you'll never see it. You never know. You'll never know. Sorry. sorry. I'm not even sorry. I'm not sorry at all because we not. have to deal with it the rest of our lives. Yeah. And you know what? We have periods and that's terrible. Yeah. Next. Speaking of periods... Let's go to some cherry poppin' daddies. Ah, <laughs> Zing suit riot. Zing. Dad came to play now. 
I love the song. I love the song so much when it came out. I love Brian Setzer Orchestra. I love the Squirrel Nut mm-hmm. Zippers. I was all about this fucking movement. The, this the ska, mini, the mini the swing, ska movement. swing movement. I was so here for it. I was pumped. My sister was getting married around this time, and so she was getting a lot of, like, demos and just grabbing CDs and mm-hmm. things. Because back in the day, again, we didn't have the internet, so you, you had to, like, grab CDs and tapes You couldn't make you an iPod playlist. You couldn't. So my sister had all these phenomenal records that I would listen to, and I'm like, oh my god, I love this. Because eighth grade Maggie, all about the sky on the swing. So was freshman year and sophomore year. You know what? Maggie today, still about the sky on the swing. Ugh. Here for it. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> so, the song is actually about the Zoot Suit Riots of the 1940s. I was gonna say, isn't this kind of about racial riots? Which I never knew about till I read about this fucking song. You know how I knew about that? Parks and Recreation. I don't Because Ben Wyatt mentions it in an episode once. Thanks, Ben Wyatt. <laughs> thank you, Hashtag Ben Wyatt. thank you, Ben Wyatt. So, for those not in the know, the riots were a series of conflicts in 1943 L.A., California, between European Americans, I think you just mean white people, Wikipedia. Yeah. When Wikipedia says European American servicemen, I think they just mean white people. Working class white people. Yeah, white people. And Mexican American youths, primarily. There were some Filipinos and some blacks in the mix, but mostly it was Mexican Americans. Mm -hmm. When the servicemen encountered anyone wearing a zoot suit, they would attack them and strip them because wearing these was considered unpatriotic during World War II. These suits used an excessive amount of fabric because if you've seen a zoot suit, it's that ridiculously long jacket. Yeah. It is a little bit more fabric than you really need in huge shoulders. Crazy exaggerated shoulder pads. It is a lot of fabric and using that much fabric was considered unpatriotic during World War II because... We need to conserve. We need to ration. If you've taken any social studies class, you'll know, like, we fucking rationed everything from metal to fabric to food in World War II because we need to send it over to the troops, to the Europeans, to everybody. Mm -hmm. So on the surface, this was like, oh, we don't like this because it's, like, unpatriotic. But it really was racial shit. Yeah. Here's the thing. It wasn't Trump that started the Mexican shit. Guys, this has been going on for a while. I wasn't going to get into this, but I'm drunk. (laughs) Like, we haven't been great to Mexicans for a very long time. And the only reason these fucking race riots even stopped was because the government had to step in and say, yo, we get a lot of, like, cheap labor from the Mexicans, so stop fucking with them. Yeah, because the Mexicans are doing all the jobs that you pieces of shit don't want to do. Hey, white people, you know how you don't want to work... Like, on a farm? Guess what? The Mexicans are fucking doing that for but you. But they're stealing our jobs, you no, know? No, they're fucking not, because you don't want that job, because you're right. an asshole. But the point is, yes, this song actually had a mild political... I, they had no political agenda doing it, but it's interesting that it did cover... I mean, I think they they were just kind of, you know, just referencing something... It was very important That had then. to do with their genre of music yeah. and, you know... What they were going for. And I kind of wish the song really had more to do with the Zoot Suit Riots. Right. 
But but, but if you think about it, too, back in the late 90s, nobody's trying to ruffle feathers back then. Right. I but, think if that sound came out now, it would be different. Right, because then everybody would actually would be able to Google what the Zoot Suit Riots are. Yeah, I didn't know what a Zoot Suit Riot was. I thought it was just like everybody's dancing around in Zoot Suits. Right. Especially because that's what the video made it seem like. Touche. It was just people in zoot suits dancing. So we were like, oh, that's a dance, this right? It's fun. Like, but no. No, that's not what it is. Oh, no. Anyway. But, yeah. So that's basically the the cover of Zoot Suit Riot. Ska Swing isn't a thing anymore. But, like, let's bring it back. Um, Speaking of bringing it back, what's the next song we got for us? Uh, Shorty by Imagine? So, so, Maggie, what are they? They're prepubescent. There you go. They did it. No, these yeah. kids are clearly very young. Yeah. I honestly have no idea who this group is. No. And I've never heard of this song no. before we decided to do this episode. I half wondered if this might be a song that someone was like, hey, my kids have a band. Can you throw it on? They had to have paid. Uh, the record company. Yeah, to be on it. To, or, oh, to feature them. Or, or, or. They could be an underground band that maybe, like, Virgin had on their wing, and yeah, they were right. like, oh, let's throw this on here and get right. them noticed. Didn't work. Didn't work. Sorry. Yeah. So this song apparently only went to number 25 on the Billboard charts, and then they dropped off the face of the planet. Yup. Um, however, they are still around, and they still perform under the name Imagine. Huh. Yeah. And uh, some of them in the group are like producers and session musicians and stuff like that. All right. They credited themselves as being a true boy band, emphasis on the band. Oh, I thought you were going to say emphasis on the boy. (laughs) (laughs) Emphasis on the boy. Because they are all quite young when the song comes out. You can hear in some of the verses, they are very young. Yeah. But they they said that they were a real band because they all played an instrument. Oh, okay. So they were, That's cool. Which kind of jogs my memory a little bit, but not enough. Not enough for me to really. No. Anyway, but one fun fact though, one of the members is the younger brother of Donald Faison, who was Turk in Scrubs. Oh. Also Murray in Clueless. Oh. Okay. <laughs> Yo, woman, give me five dollars. I, you know, here's the thing. I'm more amazed that I didn't realize that that was the same guy in Clueless and Scrubs. Seriously? Ugh, come on, Maggie. I barely watched Scrubs. I watched a lot of Scrubs and I for some reason. I watched Clueless once and or twice. Oh my God, I've seen Clueless like a million times. Is it because Paul Rudd's charming? Paul Rudd's in it, isn't he? He's the guy. Yeah, I forget about He's that. He's the guy. He's the guy that hits on what's her name. Brittany Murphy? No, Alicia Silverstone. Oh. Alicia. Whatever. Silverstone. I'm 12 sheets at this point. <laughs> Let's. What else you got? You got anything else? On no, this? that's it. Next. Is that it? Uh, sorry, guys. There's just not a lot about 
these guys. I'm sorry. But you know who there's also not a ton about? Brian McKnight. Really? Is, no, there is actually a lot about Brian McKnight. There's, but I'm not like, coming, there's a shit ton about Brian McKnight. There is McKnight. a shit ton about Brian McKnight, but there's not about his next song anytime. such a good song. It's a great fucking song. <laughs> but I'm going to be completely honest. This just reminds me as being one of the many songs that went on my personal unrequited love playlist yes. for my first crush. Yes. I remember being in middle school and being in love with this boy who didn't even know I existed and just like, hey. And there would have been no way like this would have ever worked anyway. I definitely was like crushing out of my league. I very much remember um, being in my friend's bedroom, listening to uh, Anita Howard. Mm. Remember, I can't remember the name of it, but it was a very sexually explicit song. Right. (laughs) And we sat there and listened to it and wrote down all the lyrics line by line. Oh, my God. And sent them to her crush. Oh, no. And this was before we, like, really knew what any of it meant. Yeah. But it was definitely, like, the peak of, I'm going to write down the lyrics to this song and send them to you, which we didn't have the internet. We couldn't look them up. So, And, of course, they were all completely wrong. But still... That was just, that was one song that we should not be writing the lyrics to. And we should not be sending it to anybody. (laughs) That reminds me of like, so this unrequited crush that I had in fucking middle school. I remember, remember back in the day before we really had the internet, you'd use the phone. So my best friend found his best friend's phone number. And then would be like, hey, you know, my best friend, well, she likes your best friend. Any chance of that happening? Nope. Okay, bye. And then I was like, I have to go into school and act like this didn't happen. Yep. And who knew, even at 13 years old, I was still real good at acting like shit didn't happen. (laughs) I was was learning young. That was the beginning. You're a veteran. I'm real good at it now. But as far as the song goes, the lyrics are pretty straightforward. You know, someone's not over a breakup. They're wondering if the person still thinks about them. And the funny thing about this song is while it is on the album, it wasn't released as an official single again. So here it is, another song on this album that is not an official single. I definitely remember the video for this. Me too. Like, it was just a whole lot of long shots of Brian McKnight laying down and singing. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about? I hit it. Um, What? Mm-hmm. I didn't hear anything. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Anyway. Let's... So what's the, what's the next song? What? Uh, Barbie Girl by Aqua. Hell yeah! <laughs>
probably one of the most well-known one-hit wonders oh. in the U.S. Yeah, everyone Every, knows. This everybody knows song. this stupid fucking song. <laughs> and Aqua actually had a small handful of hits in the U.K. after Barbie Girl. Actually, Aqua has some good songs. Do they? I like them. I've never listened to any of Aqua them. has some songs that I enjoy. Okay. That's a better way to put it. That's good. Yeah. Um, they, they already had a hit in Denmark and in Sweden before the song came out. Okay. Naturally, the song was written by a dude. Huh. Obviously. You don't say. Specifically, band member Renee Diff, who is the guy who plays Ken uh, in this song. Yeah, the bald dude. But he's not really bald. He has a dumbass fucking yeah, haircut. I yeah, he's wearing a bald cap for the video, right? <laughs> no, he's he is his haircut is just he has two strips that go like around each ear, and then oh. the rest of it is bald. Huh? Which I sure okay, that's All what right. you want to do. That's your life. Um, but he Choices. got <laughs> he got inspiration for the song after viewing a kitsch culture exhibit in Denmark. I should mention that the members of Aqua are Danish and Norwegian. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, but somehow the lyrics went extremely misogynistic and generalized Barbie as a sex object. See, but I thought that they were poking fun at the fact that Barbie is a sex object. Right. Well, it can be interpreted either way. Okay. Either they are saying that Barbie is a sex object and that's all she's good for. Right. Or they're poking fun at it and saying that's what everybody views her as and... This is just a song that's kind of like making fun of that. Okay. Either way, the song was huge. Probably what helped that was the inevitable lawsuit that Mattel slapped against Agua after the song came out. Oh, that makes sense. Mattel, who is the maker of Barbie, sued them for copyright infringement, stating the song's lyrics reduced Barbie to a blonde bimbo and tarnished the reputation of their trademark. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Mattel. What was your fucking legacy with Barbie? Because you guys didn't do that already, just based on her body proportions and the way that she looked. Nobody walks on their tiptoes all the time. Right? Barbie's clearly designed by a man. <laughs> actually, Fuck you, Mattel. Actually, Barbie wasn't entirely conceived by a man. It was conceived... By a housewife. Huh. I forgot her name. It doesn't matter. But the idea for it came from a woman. However, I'm pretty sure that the design came from a man. Okay. You know what? Fuck Mattel. <laughs> anyway, so Aqua actually countersued for countersued Mattel for oh. defamation. Oh. But both lawsuits were dismissed, and during the ruling, the judge actually said, quote, the parties are advised to chill. <laughs> Shout out. That's amazing. <laughs> Who is this judge? I want to be their best friend. <laughs> judge Awesome. That's who. Judge Awesome. Coming to the stand. Better fucking chill the fuck out. Three snaps in a Z formation for Judge Awesome. Good form. Good form. Good form. Yes. Anyway, who's All next? Right. Well, next up. We got our good old friends Radiohead and Karma Police. Oh boy. Oh boy. This is what you get when you mess with us. Karma 
Okay, sorry. <laughs> Not my favorite Radiohead single. I think I played it out for myself, though. I will admit. Again, my brother came home from college. He had all these songs. I listened to Radiohead over and over and over and over and over again. So, can I say something here? And I'm going to get judged real fucking You're going to get judged real hard. Because it's Radiohead. I'm going to get judged real hard. Judge fudge. But I'm too busy <laughs> being delicious. What do you got to say? I think Radiohead is extremely overrated. I do not think they're as great as everybody makes them out to me. And I don't get it. Peril-like. <laughs> I don't think they're the be-all, end-all. They're okay. I like them. They're I, good. They're... I'm not even going to lie. I love OK Computer. I love Kid A. Mm-hmm. I'll I will listen to OK Computer when... You know if I'm listening to OK Computer, like, Maggie, are you okay? <laughs> Seriously, though. Like, when I'm listening to the entire album, that's not good. I think that Radiohead definitely has its place. I think they've done a lot. I think they've changed a lot of the music scene. I don't worship them like some people do. I think there's definitely a middle ground where you can be like, there are certain Radiohead albums that are fantastic, and there are some that are like, eh, like Rambo in Rambos. <laughs> Eh, really? Why is everyone jizzing their pants over in rainbows? It's not that great, guys. I mean, there's they have songs that I'm like, okay, I I get why this why people like the song, but for the most part, I have never been super impressed by them. I've never had a song like touch me real deep inside. Oh, I've never see, like, there are a couple songs that I'm like. Yeah, I have I have How never How to disappear completely. Like when I'm in a really bad depressive mode, Kid A also was a great album for that. However, you know what really won me over was when Tom York went on Space Ghost Coast to Coast. <laughs> he is clearly super high through the whole thing and he's just having a good time and that's so endearing to me. I heard somewhere that when he was born, one of his eyelids was fused together. I believe it because he's definitely got a look he's got in his a wonky face. Eye. He's got a wonky eye. I thought he was high. Okay, now that makes a lot more no, sense. No, he he just had to have his eyelids surgically split in two when he was. Woof! That's terrifying. Oh my god! Sorry. We didn't even talk about the actual song itself. I think we no. just spent 20 minutes talking about how we feel about Radiohead. Do you want to talk about the actual A little song? bit. Just, okay. you know, it's definitely a song that it's it's got a complexity. It has a lot of colors to it. As you keep listening to it, it adds on to itself, which is great. You know, there are a lot of layers to it musically, and it keeps it interesting. So whether or not I'm sick of it, it is still admittedly a very good song. And originally, the title was an inside joke with the band. They would threaten to call the karma police on each other if anybody did something bad. That's so it's kind of cute. And the lyrics do go deeper than that. They have themes of stress, you know, from the way other people perceive you. They uh, deal with insanity. They deal with a distaste for capitalism. OK Computer really deals with a lot of those themes overall. Mm-hmm. Which may be one of the reasons why I really still like it even today in my 30s, you know, what is it, 20, 23 something years later that that album came out. It still holds up to me, but I, I've always really liked the album. So that's I, where I'm coming from. I do remember the the video for this. Mm -hmm. Um, I was TRL around. Yeah. 
because I remember this being on TRL for a very long time. This was before I got cable. I'm pretty sure it was on TRL for a very long time. And uh, I remember liking the video. I do like the song. I mean, I I don't hate Radiohead by any means. Right. I just think they're completely overblown. Um, That's but fair. this song was actually really good. And it's one of the the few Radiohead singles that I can listen to now and still make it through the whole song. Yeah. But I remember this music video and I remember watching it and being like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> it was one of the first videos that used the continuous shot oh, thing. Remember okay. that? Because it would keep panning from like the backseat of a car, Tom York singing to sure. the front of the car. And it was like, panning back and forth and there would be a dude standing in the front of the car and then pan back to Tom York and then it would pan back to the front of the car and be on fire. I'm like, what the fuck is going on? I don't oh, understand. The only Radiohead music video I remember is the one for No Surprises, which is my favorite Radiohead song. He's in the astronaut helmet and it fills up with water and then it unfills with water. Oh, and it has the yes. And scrolling across the sky. Oh. I, okay, that's a really good song. That's a really good song. Maybe they're just too deep for me. I don't know. See, but even I think they would say, no, we're not that deep. Man. I don't think they're that deep either. But I don't think they take themselves that deep either. I don't either. I think either. it's just one of those, it's one of those things where the fan base takes it too seriously. So you happen to be you like, You know what? Yo. I think that's right. I think it, it's the Garden State effect. Remember that movie Garden State? Fuck Everybody Garden lost State. their goddamn shit That's over a that garbage movie. movie. It's a fucking shit movie and I hate it. Come for us. And I feel like I hate it more because everybody else lost their shit over it. And it's so maybe, not great. Maybe I'm having a Garden State effect with Radiohead. Yeah. I don't know. Try to revisit their B-sides. I don't have time to revisit their B-sides, but maybe someday when I'm 65... <laughs> Before and I'm retired. Die. Before I die, I will I will put that on my bucket list. All right, to revisit Radiohead. Let's do it. I will do that. All right. Next song. We do have a 15 hour road trip, though. I'm just <laughs> saying I might make a Radiohead playlist. I will fall asleep, but right. you can try it. Next song is you. Ugh. I will buy you a new life by Everclear. I fucking hate Everclear. I like Everclear. I hate them I like so them. much. But this album specifically, again, just from, I bought this when I was a freshman in high school, and this whole album just reminds me of my freshman year of high school. Understandable. So I don't know about their other albums, because I've never really listened to anything beyond so much for the Afterglow. I just kind of feel like all of their songs sound exactly the same. The only song by Everclear that I have ever liked was Local God off That's of the Romeo and Juliet soundtrack. It's a really good song. And I think I like it because it doesn't sound like an Everclear song. I guess you're right. All of their songs right. sound the fucking same. And they're all about how <laughs> their fucking parents didn't like them. And I get it. That has a huge effect on you. Yeah. I get it. But there's a way to make it sound like it 
affected you psychologically and there's another way to make it sound like you're just a whiny brat. Counter <laughs> you know argument. I mean? There are plenty of songs on So Much for the Afterglow. Everything to Everyone. There's a couple other songs that for me speak to me in more of a you try to put on this persona, you try to make everyone happy, you try to be this person. And for me throughout well, that high school speaks my to whole you. life, that speaks to me. Yeah. Very much so as a person. But and to me, I'm like, why the fuck would anybody do that? <laughs> because I'm an asshole. By the way. You're not an asshole. <laughs> you just fortunately have never dealt with this bizarre complex of needing to make everyone happy. I don't think it's bizarre. Happy. I think it's extremely common. But I don't understand that because I'm not that kind of person. Right. And I find it, I just find it hard to understand. This is probably why I like you. I'm like, what is it like to not feel like you have to make people happy? What is that like? Tell me. Tell me your life is like. And I'm just like, I don't know. Fuck off. (laughs) And I'm like, okay, sure. If that's what you want me to do. Because I want to do whatever makes you happy. (laughs) Arguably, when you are in high school, you become Mm self-aware. You really realize who you are as a person. To an extent. And I kind of feel like you also forge your musical identity. Yeah. It's it's yeah. where you make the roots of the kind of music that you're going to listen to when you're older. Definitely. Because I listen to shitty new metal. I <laughs> really do. We all did. listen to shitty new metal. I also listen to a lot of really good stuff. Yeah. That I still listen to now. Uh, in but high I school think, is when I got into the Beatles and David Bowie. Right. And... You forge those roots and they might be real shitty roots, but they grow into something that's a little bit more legitimate. But but anyway, I legit have no notes on this song because I fucking hate it. And well, I, I tried to do research on it. I found nothing about this song. It is extremely self-explanatory. Uh, at that point, Art Alexa, Alexa Callis, whatever is something like that. Um, Alexis? No, it's more than that. More <laughs> letters than that. I don't know. <laughs> I can't remember. Five how. sheets. Yeah. Um, he and his lady friend, his baby mama, have yep. been broken up. Oh. She was living somewhere else with her, with their kid. Oh. And he would go over there and be like, hey. Let's hang out. All I know is he didn't want to be a garbage dad like his garbage dad yeah. was. That's pretty much every Which, song. Good for you, though. I, I think that's awesome if you don't want to be a garbage dad like your garbage dad was. Good for you. Good for you. Proud of you. And then I just don't like your music. But I do. But what so do I know? you got a 50-50 rating here. That's good. That's good. Good enough. Good enough. Try and counts. Mm-hmm. You know what else counts? Flying Away by Letty Kravitz. Oh. I wish that I could fly into the sky so very high Just like a dragonfly I'd fly above the trees, over the seas And all the greens to anywhere I please I really got nothing on it. You know what I have on this song? So Lenny Kravitz originally wrote this as a ballad for his last album, but it never went on. 
And then he released it as a legit rock song. Okay. And it's hit number one in the U.S. rock charts. And it got a Grammy for best rock performance. Guys. Showing that the Grammys are still completely irrelevant. Well, back then. That was like 20 years ago. 20 years ago, they were irrelevant. And now they're even more irrelevant. Yeah. It's Lenny Kravitz song. It's fine. It's like the quintessential Lenny Kravitz it's song. It's the quintessential Lenny Kravitz song. Guys, it's a Lenny Kravitz song. It's, it's fine. It's generic rock. It's Lenny Kravitz. Yeah. I mean, the you most did, the you most didn't add anything to the zeitgeist, bro. <laughs> that is true. I feel like the most interesting thing about Lenny Kravitz is that he was married to Lisa Bonet for a while. Mm. And they had a very interesting daughter who's arguably way more interesting than her father. Probably. So, yeah. Right. Yeah. Lenny Kravitz, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Lenny Kravitz, everybody. All right, let's round this in because this has been a long ass episode. Yep. With our final uh, track. <laughs> Woof. Uh, Sex and Candy by Marcy Playground. Hanging around downtown by myself and I had so much time to sit down and think about myself and then there she was like double cherry pie yeah there she was like disco super fly I smell sex and this is not a great song i don't care what anyone says come for me i don't like this song i will even admit there is a marcy playground song that i like it's saturday is a good song it's fun it's bouncy it's different i don't remember it it's fine you don't have to (laughs) i'm just saying i don't hate marcy playground i just don't care for this song so in response to your I saw the Goo Goo Dolls oh, no. thing. Oh, no. I saw Marcy Playground. That's worse. But I saw Marcy Playground at... It, it was Bethel Woods before Bethel Woods was Bethel Woods. It was just regular Woods before. It was just the place where Woodstock was. Oh. And it was a festival. And it was Dishwalla. Mm-hmm. Joan Osborne. Oh. Marcy Playground, Meh. Goo Goo Dolls, Ooh. Third Eye Blind. <laughs> totally 90s. Soup's 90s. Soup's 90s. Was this two years ago? <laughs> <laughs> you would think, but no, it was in 1997 or 98. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah. But anyway, this song is confusing because even the guy who wrote it doesn't really know what the song is about. First of all, can we talk about how, like, the smell of sex and candy sounds unappealing at best. Yeah. It. Muggy? <laughs> Muggy and sticky? <laughs> That's what I get from it. <laughs> but um, it was written by John Wozniak, who admittedly says he just thought of a bunch of disco related phrases and threw them in a song. Huh. And he had the phrase sex and candy hanging out in his brain for like five years because a roommate of a girl he was sleeping with walked in on them in her dorm room and said, wow, it smells like sex and candy in here. So he threw that in the song. Arguably. That is catchy. 
I guess. I'd hold on to that. I guess. I'd throw it on my list of band names. Band names, but don't write a song about it? Yeah. Um, I think it's pretty fitting that this compilation ends with sex and candy because both are total mishmashes of weird and quintessentially 90s tidbits that make no sense together. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. That's a good way to end it. Right? That's a great place to end it. <laughs> yeah, because I'm, I'm, I'm done. I'm very drunk. And that means it's time to... And that means it's time to wrap yeah. it the fuck and up. And means... I know that this has gone a little later than most of our usual episodes. So if you've stuck with us for this long, thank you. <laughs> we appreciate you. We love you. Thank you. Yeah. We're just going to roll up real quick. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Twitter, you can find us at Rock Candy Pod. Facebook and Instagram, Rock Candy Podcast. Our website is www.rockcandypodcast.com. If you have any weird memories of 90s music, if this touched you in any special way, not stranger danger way, just, you know, like emotionally. Not that special. No. Why don't you email us? Let us know. Maybe we'll shout you out in the next episode and we'll talk about it. Because again, this is a hodgepodge month. So if you want to throw a story at us, we'll talk about it. Why not? Fuck it. Who gives a shit? We're rolling deep. August is crazy pants month and it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. I don't know. Who else leaves Whatever reviews? you can. I don't even give a shit. Facebook, you know what? You can leave a review on anything. Just leave fucking do it. Leave a review on anything. It. Or like, even if you're like, I don't like the way you guys XYZ, email us. Whatever. Our email is contact us at rockcandypodcast.com. There you go. Talk to us. We like talking to people. Or come see us in Nashville. And we will be in Nashville at the end of August. So if you want to hang out with us, maybe somebody wants to hang out with us. We don't have a booth, but we're going to be bugging people that have booths. We're going to bug people that have booths and we're going to just act like we're supposed to be there. Because we are supposed to be there. We did register, so we are supposed to be there. (laughs) It's it's true. It's true. It's fine. Yeah. This is all fine. fine. You know what? Thanks, guys. Thanks for partying with us. Now that's what I call an episode. Party on, Maggie. Party on, Ashley. Party on, you you crazy crazy motherfuckers out there. Bye. Bye.